in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight is Psalm 116. This psalm has no title. Usually the title tells us about who is the author and the circumstances why this psalm is written. So the author is unknown. This psalm is a thanksgiving psalm in which the psalmist identifies the specific reason for his thanksgiving. What is the specific reason? He was near death and he cried to God that God may rescue him. And the Lord of mercy, grace and blessing rescued him from death. So some believe that David wrote this psalm because King Saul was trying to kill David. And also his own son Absalom rebelled against David and wanted to kill him. Or maybe it is a thanksgiving psalm written for the gracious deliverances God had done for David. God delivered him from lion and bear, from the hand of Goliath, from Saul several times, from Absalom. So God delivered him so many times. Some believe it appears to be written after captivity, after God delivered them from the Babylonian captivity. So it is a thanksgiving to God for this glorious event. Some apply this psalm to the distress of the Jews in the time of the Maccabees under Antiochus Epiphanes. Or some take it spiritually and say it relates to the bringing of new people who are under sentence of death, like the Gentiles, because of their paganism to Christian faith. So God delivered them from death to life. Also, it is a liturgical psalm used in liturgical celebration and another one of the Egyptian Halil Psalms. What are the Egyptian Halil Psalms? These are six psalms from Psalm 113 to 118. It speaks about the deliverance from death, deliverance from Egypt, deliverance from the captivity of Egypt. That's why it's called Egyptian. They used to chant this psalm while celebrating the Passover. And the Passover celebrates the exodus from Egypt. That's why it's called Egyptian. Halil, from word hallelujah, praise, thanksgiving to God. Since the Lord ate the Passover with the disciples on Covenant Thursday before his trial, and we read in Matthew chapter 26 and in Mark 14, after they ate the Passover, they praised. So what are the praises? The praises were these six psalms. Psalm 116 was one of these six psalms that were chanted by the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples of the night of his betrayal and arrest. And as I said, the Egyptian Halil has been used in the celebration of the Passover. The previous psalm, Psalm 115, it was a congregational prayer. It is said in the plural tense, not for us, O God, not for us give glory, but to your name. 
So not for us, it's a congregational prayer. But Psalm 116 is individual thanksgiving for deliverance from imminent danger of death. This psalm also is considered messianic. What do you mean by messianic? Most of the church fathers, they said, this psalm is about the passion, death, and triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many fathers like St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great, St. Jerome, believed that this psalm proclaims a cry out by every spiritual believer's heart, by each one of us, longing for the enjoyment of eternal life while suffering from temptation and troubles in this life. We long, as St. Paul said, I have desire to depart and be with Christ. This is far better. In the Septuagint translation, this psalm is divided into two psalms. From verse 1 to 9, one psalm. From verse 10 to 19 is two psalms. And in the Agbeya, we prayed these two psalms because the Agbeya follows the Septuagint, not the Hebrew text. So the Agbeya, we will find these two psalms, the last two psalms in the ninth hour. I loved, we, I believed. This psalm is prayed at the ninth hour of the Agbeya as two psalms. Why in the ninth hour? In the ninth hour, we commemorate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said, this psalm speaks of the suffering, death, and victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm, if we combine the two psalms together, then it is 19 verse. From verse 1 to 7, the psalmist praises God for deliverance. 8 to 11, the testimony of the delivered person. From 12 to 19, the psalmist gratitude for God's mercy. Verse 1 and 2, I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my supplication. In the Septuagint and in the Agbeya, it is in the past tense. I loved the Lord, for he has heard my voice and my supplication. I will explain why I mentioned in the Agbeya, it is in the past tense. I loved the Lord, but here I love the Lord. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. So verse 1 and 2 are introduction in which the psalmist declares his love to God and his resolution to call on the name of the Lord continually. Why? On account of his deliverance from an imminent danger. Since the Lord delivered him from this death, so he is committed to call on the name of the Lord continually, and he is declaring his love to God. So the voice of the psalmist expresses gratitude and love for the Lord after he has granted his anguished plea. He was about to die, asked God, and God delivered him. So he is grateful. 
He began the psalm with the simplest expression of grateful love. I love the Lord. He had a great love for the Lord because he answered prayer in a desperate time. When we are desperate and ask God, and God answer our prayer differently, at this moment we feel joy and we feel that we, we really, really love God and we are very grateful to him. Although David did not say, I love God only because of this, no. The main reason for loving God is God's own distinction of nature. God is very unique in his mercy, in his compassion, in his gentleness, in his righteousness, in his holiness. That is the main reason why all of us will love God. But there are other reasons to love him. Among the other reasons are the benefits which we receive from God. The benefit which God has conferred on us and which awakens the love of gratitude in our heart. As I said, when God answers me in a desperate time, this awakens. This doesn't mean I did not love God before. No, I love Him. But this answer in time of destitute awakens the love of gratitude in my heart. Love actually is a natural response to being saved. If I'm drowning and somebody saved me, I feel that I love this person. That's why St. John said, we love him, we love God, because he first loved us by saving us. The psalmist does not say that this was the only reason why he loved God, or the main reason for loving God. But he is saying it was the reason for that special joy of love, which he then felt in his soul the joy of love that he felt when God delivered him from death. According to the Arabic version, which is taken from the Septuagint, which is taken from the Coptic, that we read it in the Agbaya, as I explained, it is in the past tense. I loved the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. And I want you to notice, I loved in the past tense, he hears in the present tense. According to St. Jerome, because St. Jerome is the one who translated the Bible from Septuagint to Latin, the Vulgate. Also in the Latin, the first word is past tense and the rest is present tense. So he said, I loved is in the past tense. While the expression, he hears my voice, is in the present tense. Why? For I loved the Lord without waiting to see if he hears my voice or my supplications. Although I am sure that in his designated time, he will respond. But I loved the Lord from before. I did not wait until God delivers me and answers me to love him. I loved him and I am sure that he will hear the voice of my supplications. St. Augustine says, Let the soul that is sojourning in the absence from the Lord, the soul that went astray, but God found this soul and brought her back to him. Let this soul sing thus. Let the sheep which had strayed sing thus. 
let that son, the prodigal son, who had died and returned to life, who had been lost and was found, let our soul sing thus, brethren and most beloved sons, let us be taught and let us abide and let us sing thus with the saint, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. I think it's very suitable psalm to pray it after confession because we're under sentence of death. Then in confession and in communion, after we repent and receive the forgiveness, actually we were dead and now we are alive. We need to pray and say, I love the Lord for he has heard my voice, accepted my repentance. And the word love here, I love the Lord, does not imply an emotion as much as commitment of loyalty. Love actually is a covenant. The covenant word, as it appears in the context of David's relationship with Saul and Jonathan. He said, I loved the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. This is a good reason for serving God or for devoting ourselves to him or being loyal to him because he has inclined his ear to me. But again, this should not be the only reason. We ought to worship and serve God, whether he hears our prayers or say no to our requests, whether he sends joy or sorrow, whether we are prosperous or are in affliction. And the words inclined his ear signify readiness to hear. He heals and hear. He listens to what his people say and hear them at once. Then the psalmist vowed to never call upon anyone else. His commitment, adherence, love, prayer would always be to God the one who inclined his ear to him. What the psalmist pledges in loyalty to God is not obedience to the law. Rather, he simply promises to call upon God as long as he lives. Like so many other psalms, Psalm 116 begins by recognizing reliance on God as the ultimate expression of faithfulness. In verse 1 and 2, he expressed his reliance on God as the ultimate expression of faithfulness. Then in verse 3, he started to explain why he was about to die. He said, The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, I found trouble and sorrow. So after he declared his love to God, he immediately followed in verse 3 by powerful description of the mortal fear that has overwhelmed the psalmist in prayer. He said, I was in the painful grip of death. That's why I knew nothing except trouble and sorrow. The image here in verse 3 is of prey 
which has fallen into the trap of relentless hunter. So I am dying, I'm dying. This is pictured as seizing David and binding him with cords. He said, the pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. The cords of death, not the pains of death, the cords of death surrounded me. As if the, the cords of death bound me, seized me, and now I am bound with cords. This was true of David when Saul threatened to kill him. As we read in 1 Samuel 19, now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Also, this verse is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that David is a symbol, is a type of Christ. The Lord was a man of sorrow all his days. And in the garden, he was surrounded with sorrow, exceeding sorrowful unto death, as he said. Many centuries later, after David, St. Peter used the same phrase, pains of death, to describe the danger from which God the Father delivered the Lord Jesus Christ through the resurrection. As we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, whom Jesus, whom Jesus, God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, or loosed the cords of death, so if the cords are minding me, God loosed them, loosed the pains or cords of death, because it was not possible that Jesus should be held by death. So the pains of death, spiritually speaking, some interpret it as the horrors of guilt, a guilty conscience. When we commit a sin, then we feel so guilty under a sense of sin, without view of forgiveness. God will not forgive me, which is as if it is hell in conscience, like pains and its torments in our conscience. And the pangs of Sheol, it is trouble and sorrow from a body of sin and death, from the temptations of Satan and the divine abandonment, as if God is abandoning us, that believers find themselves in. St. Augustine says, Pains that would not have overtaken me had I not wandered from you. So if we don't wander from God, these pains of death will not overtake us. But now, St. Augustine continues, they have overtaken me, but I found them not. I was blind. I didn't see the pains of death. Why? Because I was rejoicing in the prosperity of the world, in which the snares of hell deceive the more. So the snares of hell around me, but I was deceived. The psalmist praying and cried out to the only one who can stretch out his hand and free him from the pains of death and from the pangs of Sheol. In his deadly danger, the psalmist cried out to God in light of all God is. He knows 
who God is. And the name of the Lord represents who God is. Because the name of the Lord uh, represents who God, when we say Savior, then God saves people. When we say Shepherd, God takes care of the people. That's why in verse 4, after he said, The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, I found trouble and sorrow. What did I do? What David did? Then I called upon the name of the Lord. And then he said this very powerful prayer. It is short prayer, but powerful. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. His cry was delivered straight to God. O Lord, and deeply felt, I implore you, directly stating the need, deliver my soul. So this form of petition, short, complete, to the point, humble and earnest. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Like the disciples, like in the, what we heard in the Gospel of Vespers tonight, how the disciples cried out during the storm, and Peter cried to the Lord when he was walking on the water and started to sing. He said, Lord, save me. These three words are the shortest prayer, but the most powerful prayer. Like this prayer, O Lord, I implore you, save my soul. So in the light of his deliverance, God delivered him. He said he inclined his ear to me and he delivered me. So the psalmist in verse 5 described who God is, the name of the Lord. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. In light of his deliverance, through answered prayer, the psalmist prays the gracious, righteous, and merciful character of God. God answers prayer, show that God, he is gracious and righteous. Why gracious and righteous? Gracious because of his mercy. He listens to men. We are nothing. We are dust and ashes. But God, because he is gracious, he listens to us. And righteous, because he promised us, ask and you shall receive. He is righteous because having promised to hear prayer, he is bound to keep his promises. That's why he said God is gracious and righteous. And the word righteous refers to his justice, in which there is no oppression. Righteous means to do what's right. God is indeed just, and no one can be justified before God on our merits, but we justified because of his mercy. That's why his justice is surrounded by graciousness and mercy, namely preceded by graciousness and preceded by mercy. The righteousness of God preceded by graciousness and preceded by mercy. St. John Chrysostom says, Do you see how he instructed the listener not to despair or lose heart? When David is saying to us, God is gracious, God is righteous, God is merciful, as if he is instructing all of us not to fall in despair or not to lose heart. It is in fact as if he said, don't despair, God is merciful. 
Don't lose heart. He is righteous as well. Saint Jerome says, Yes, O sinner, the Lord is merciful indeed, but beware, for in the words to follow, he says that God is righteous, meaning just. He is equally merciful and just. He is merciful to good and just to the sinners. Also, before the Lord's obedient surrender to the trial of his suffering on the night of his crucifixion, Jesus, as explained, sang these words with his disciples in the upper room. Jesus testified to the truth that God is gracious, righteous, and merciful before his affliction, during his affliction, and after his affliction. And verse 6, David said, Why God listen to my prayer? Because I am simple. And the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. So we can see here how David, the king of Israel, says about himself, I am just a simple man. In humility, the psalmist counted himself as one who did not exalt himself above others and who might be considered just simple. He did not have to exalt himself because when he was brought low, God actually brought his salvation. I was brought low, but God saved me. What he means by simple here? Honest, trusting, sincere, like the children. The Lord preserves and keeps those who have simple heart and unwavering trust in God, those who are sincere and rely on his word. According to the Septuagint and the Coptic and the Arabic version in the Agbaya, it came that the Lord preserved the children, not the simple. Hafiz al-Atfal who are Rabb. The Lord preserves the children. Because if you look at the children, they are aware of their weakness and they do not lean unto or trust in themselves. They know they are very fragile, but commit themselves to the Lord. So in the same way, those who are meek and of lowly heart, who feel the spirit of little children, these God preserves as he does to the little children. When Jesus called his disciples, he called simple people, he called fishermen and tax collectors. When the angels announced the birth of Christ, they announced his birth to simple people, to the shepherd. God helped David out of his lost state and delivered him out of all his troubles. And we said this psalm is a messianic psalm, so this word were sung and spoken again by the Lord Jesus among his disciples before his crucifixion, that God the Father will deliver me, will preserve me through the resurrection. Definitely Jesus is the hypostasis of wisdom. So he was far from a simple man, but was considered simple by the proud and arrogant religious leaders who despised his lack of former credentials and training. That's why they considered him 
uneducated. Verse 7, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Starting from verse 7, the psalmist starts a dialogue with himself. So a dialogue of the psalmist with his soul begins in verse 7, continue in the remainder of the psalm. For a season, the death was crisis in the life of David, troubled his soul. Now he could reflect on how God had dealt bountifully with him. That's why he returned back to the previous place of rest. Return my soul to rest. He is inviting his soul to turn back, to rediscover the restful peace after the nightmare of death. Return to your rest, meaning renounce fear and terror and resume the perfect tranquility that springs from trusting in God. That danger of death now is over. That's why he is calling upon his soul to resume its former tranquility, calmness, peace, freedom from fear. St. Augustine says, not because you deserve or through your strength, but because the Lord has done good to you. Many of the believers of the Old Covenant believed that their rest would be to dwell ultimately in the promised land. But St. Paul in Hebrews chapter 4 challenges this opinion. He said, if Joshua had given them rest in the promised land, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day in David. Return to your rest, O my soul. There remains therefore another rest for the people of God. And St. Paul in Hebrews chapter 4 speaks, our rest is in eternal life. So the true rest for the soul is to enjoy the fellowship of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. John Chrysostom says, the literal meaning has to do with an awesome liberation, return to your rest, liberation, some kind of relief and deliverance. If you were to take it in a spiritual sense, however, you would be able to speak of departure from this life as redemption and call it rest. That's why when you say repose the soul means give them rest. And this verse we use it in a spiritual sense in the death of the believer. Say return to your rest because we know our rest is in heaven. O oh my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Scholar Origin says, when it says return to your rest, O oh my soul, it is a sign that previously he did have repose and rest, but then he lost it. Return to your rest means previously there was rest, but he lost it. He explains, God created us good. He made us judges of our own decisions and set us all in paradise with Adam. That's our rest. But since through our own free will, we fell down from that bliss and ended in this vale, valley of tears, the just man urges his soul 
to return to the place from which it fell, the place of rest, the paradise of joy. If you, my soul, return to paradise, it is not because you yourself deserve it, but because it is an act of God's mercy, because he had dealt bountifully with you. It is your fault if you left the paradise. On the other hand, you return to the paradise is the work of the Lord's mercy. Because of our fault, we were exiled from the paradise. But because of God's mercy, we return it back to the paradise. Verse 8. In verse 8, explaining what he meant by the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He ex- speaks about three things. For you have delivered my soul from death, number one. Delivered my eyes from tears, that's number two. And my feet from falling. Three things. So the deliverance was great, bringing comfort to tearful eyes and strength to falling feet. So the psalmist describes a three-part salvation from death, from tears, and from falling. Applying it to David, he was delivered from a physical death because Saul wanted to kill him when his life was in danger, surrounded by Saul's army in the hand of the Philistines at Gath, or when his son rebelled against him. Also, death God delivered us from spiritual death, passing from death to life, from eternal death, which is the just wages of sin, to eternal life. So the deliverance of the soul from spiritual and eternal death is to be acknowledged by all of us who are now sanctified and will be glorified in heaven. When God comforts those that are cast down, as we read in Psalm 30, verse 11, have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Which means God delivered our eyes from tears. Now I'm not crying. I put off my sackcloth and God clothed me with gladness. But to wipe every tear from our eyes will not be perfectly done till we come to the paradise, to the world to come, where God, as we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and deliver my feet from falling, falling into sin, falling into misery. It is great mercy when our feet are almost gone to have God actually deliver us, holds us by the right hand and deliver us from falling. We may enter into temptation, but we are not overcome or overthrown by the temptation because God will deliver us from falling. We may be moved by the thought that Jesus sang these words with his disciples on the night of his betrayal and arrest. Because Jesus, knowing all the suffering set before him, Jesus sang with confidence, deliverance from coming death through resurrection. 
his coming tears, he cried in Gethsemane, and falling under the weight of the cross, because he literally fell under the weight of the cross when he carried the cross. Verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This expresses a full belief that he would live the land of living. He will live before the presence of God. I will walk before the Lord in the service of God, enjoying communion with God. I will walk before the Lord came in the Septuagint. I will please the Lord. Order Rab fi kurat al-Ahya. I will please the Lord in the land of living. St. Augustine explained why he said, I will please the Lord. He said, we labor indeed now here on earth because we are awaiting the redemption of our body. But when death shall have been swallowed up in victory in the resurrection of the dead, and this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality, then there will be no weeping in heaven, because there will be no falling in heaven, and no falling because there is no corruption. Therefore, we shall then no longer labor to please. Here on earth we are, we labor to please God. But there in heaven, we shall be entirely pleasing in the sight of the Lord in the land of living. So St. Augustine saying, here on earth, we labor, we fight, we suffer to please God. But when we go there, we will not labor to please God. Verse 9 is the end of the psalm according to the Septuagint. I told you in the Septuagint from 1 to 9 is one psalm, from 10 to 19 is another psalm. So let me stop here at verse 9 and we'll continue. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.